As a parent of four kids, I want to know, will them playing youth football or other contact sports lead to a disability? All Inclusive, a podcast on inclusion, innovation, and social justice with Jay Ruderman. Thank you for joining me for another episode of All Inclusive. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you are listening. Joining me today to discuss this extremely interesting topic of football and disability is Assistant Professor of Neurology at the Boston University School of Medicine, who works at the Boston University CTE Research Center and is the co-author of multiple papers on this topic. Dr. Michael Alasco, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So let's start off by telling our listeners, what is CTE? Sure. So CTE uh, stands for Chronic Traumatic Encephalopathy. Uh, It's actually a progressive brain disease uh, that's associated with repeated hits to the head. Um, These repeated hits to the head are such as those that you see in American football or other contact sports. Um, But it's a disease that's similar to Alzheimer's disease, um, but distinct in many ways. At what age do people develop this disease? That's a great question. The disease really develops across a a wide range of ages. We've seen it as young as in in 20s and going all the way up to the lifespan. What are the um, symptoms or what are the implications on their daily lives? So it's uh, very similar to these other neurodegenerative diseases where you get these progressively worsening symptoms of memory problems, um, forgetfulness problems with executive function or these higher order problems like multitasking, um, problem solving, as well as disturbances in behavior and mood. So often what we see is kind of these short fuse or aggressive explosive behaviors, um, depression. Uh, These are some of the symptoms that we've been seeing in CTE and they seem to worsen uh, and worsen over time, worsen with age uh, and eventually reach the point where, where they lead to dementia. Uh, and dementia is a um, it's a clinical syndrome uh, where these cognitive and these behavior and these mood problems reach the point where it starts to interfere with a person's life. So it starts to interfere with their ability to drive, pay bills, take care of themselves. Okay. And how was the connection between contact sports and CT first discovered? So actually, despite what it may seem, it's not actually a new disease really can actually be dated back to 1928 when Dr. Harrison Martland described this syndrome of clinical symptoms in in boxers or fighters. And really from 1928 and on, there's other terms like dementia pugilistica that's really describing these these progressively worsening thinking, memory, motor uh, problems that were found in boxers. And actually the neuropathology of CTE was observed in the 1940s uh, in boxers. Uh, but really, when this issue came to the forefront of society, scientific attention, and, and so forth, was in 2005 when pathological changes of CTE were first described in a former NFL player. And since then, it's really taken off uh, in terms of coming to everyone's attention. So for all those parents out there, does playing youth contact sports mean that your child will inevitably develop CTE? No. Playing youth contact sports on its own we do not think will lead to this progressive brain disease. Um, We've done some research on looking at the association between when you start to play 
tackle football playing at a youth level before the age of 12. Um, and these have all been in people who have gone on to play football to a much greater level. So people have gone on to play high school, college, and, and mostly professional football as well. And we see an association where the younger you start to play, um, it seems to be increase your vulnerability to to later life symptoms and cognitive and behavior mood problems. But playing youth football or playing youth contact sports on its own is unlikely to be sufficient to result in CTE. Let's talk a little bit about, since this is your field of study, the diverging opinions. I'm sure you have colleagues who are like, absolutely not. This is a danger to our youth and others who are like, it's fine. So can you talk about the debate within within your your science? One of the issues is that you know, we, I describe it being around since 1928, but really we are in the beginning stages of characterizing and defining the long-term consequences of participating in contact sports. So it's a relatively emerging field. And as a result, I think we don't yet fully know, does contact sports lead directly lead to these long-term problems? And that's something we're still trying to figure out through longitudinal studies. So right now there are some people who who are not sure yet about the association between contact sports and long-term consequences. Uh, however, our data does really raise the possibility and really suggest that there is a link. And this is something that we're going to further explore in the future. Okay. So since research on CTE has become more public, what shifts have you seen in the decisions of parents to let their children play football and other contact sports? And what changes have you seen in, in, in these sports themselves and the people that are running them? In terms of the first part of the question, I think we do know that there's a decline in participation rates in, in things like youth football or, or even high school football. Um, so I think that the research on CTE, the research on the long-term consequences of contact sports has led to quite a bit of awareness to the potential risk associated with participating in, in contact sports. But at the same time, you know, we also, and this kind of goes back to actually your question on diverging opinions. At the same time, we also like to advocate that there's a lot of benefits associated with playing sports, uh, you know, leadership, psychosocial, psychological benefits, and it's up and it's kind of weighing that risk benefit uh, relationship. And so that's something that's always important to keep in mind. And in terms of your other question about what have we seen kind of at the organizational level. So again, there's been a ton of awareness. They certainly have adopted protocols to better improve detection and management of concussion. But perhaps this disease isn't really about concussion. And that's one of the things we're always trying to educate the public on is that CTE is associated with repeated head trauma. So these are subconcussive hits. And when I say subconcussive, those are the tiny hits they had that don't result in immediate symptoms. We think result in some type of injury to the brain. So if you think about linemen uh, on an every down, on every play, they're hitting their head. You know, no symptoms right away, but we think that there is some type of injury going on to the brain. Those are the types of hits that football players can have hundreds, if not thousands per season. So really how you prevent those types of, of, of hits in, in the game of football is, is a complicated question. And it, I don't know if they can be um, prevented, they can certainly be limited. Um, other contact sports like soccer and so on can certainly be modified because the repetitive hits aren't as inherent to the game. So is there a number associated, like a certain number of hits means that you're all that more likely to develop CTE in your life? 
Yeah, so that's what we're looking at. Is there a threshold in terms of years of play or in terms of number of hits you hit your head? Uh, I don't think we know that answer yet, but I think that has very important public health implications by getting at that exact question. So football is a huge part of the American culture. Um, The NFL owns a day of the week. Uh, College football is the biggest thing in many communities and states around the country. You know, you as a scientist and and um, in the field of medicine, what's the pushback? I mean, it must be tremendous when it's such an ingrained part of our culture. That's a good point, especially when you're trying to adopt change in a game like football. It, it can be really hard because it is so part of our culture. So the more research that has come out, I think has really started to resonate with a lot of people in the country. A lot of um, but it is a difficult thing. I think change in any in any type of behavior is hard. And at the end of the day, people are always going to engage in risky behaviors. How long have we known about the long-term consequences of smoking? People still smoke. Um, certainly, there's a lot of awareness of that. And I think we've gotten better, but people still smoke. And we're also not advocating for things like removing contact sports or removing tackle football. I think that's ridiculous. I think what we're trying to do is is conduct science and conduct research to look at the long-term effects, to look at the risks, and then figure out a way is how can we minimize that risk? How can we benefit from all these benefits that team sports have, but at the same time, minimize someone's risk? So our professional sports, um, college sports, even youth sports, are they, are they in contact with you and others in your, in your field to take your research seriously and try to think about modifications to the sport? One of the organizations, Concussion Legacy Foundation, is a, is a nonprofit who works with a lot of these organizations to figure out a way to minimize this risk. And in fact, one of the things that CLF or Concussion Legacy Foundation has done is they recently got heading in soccer to not be allowed until after the age of 10, I believe. Um, so those are, they're right now running a campaign where they're kind of looking at flag football under the, under the age of 14, so not playing tackle football until high school. So yeah, we work closely with them through outreach, but they're interacting with the different leagues, kind of push this change along. Some of the high profile suicides and deaths of um, football players, how does that impact what you're doing or the public discussion? I think it raises awareness, certainly. I think suicide in particular is very complicated though. I think sometimes in this setting, when a suicide happens and there's evidence of CTE, People are quick to link the two, but it should be noted that suicide is a very complicated construct that's never caused by one thing. And so we really don't know the relationship between suicide and CTE. Okay. And let's talk a little bit about your research. Where are you at this point? If you can divulge, um, what are some of your main findings and which direction are you heading? I mean, most relevant to what we've been talking to today is uh, about youth football. Um, We've had a series of papers come out. One in 2017 looked at the relationship between the age you start to play football and long-term cognitive behavior and mood consequences in 214 former uh, amateur and professional football players. And we found that the younger you started to play, the more problems with things like depression, apathy, um, reported executive function emerged later in life. And then most recently, we also looked at um, the relationship between when you start to play and the onset of symptoms and CTE in deceased uh, football players who were diagnosed with CTE after death. So CTE right now can only be diagnosed through an evaluation of the brain after death, so post-mortem examination. It included 
246 deceased football players, 211 had CTE. Uh, we actually did not find a relationship between when you start to play football and disease severity. But the younger you started to play did, in fact, correlate with earlier onset of cognitive and behavior mood symptoms. Uh, and th- that's a really complicated set of findings, but it suggests to us that in the context of individuals who play football for a long time, the younger you start may increase your vulnerability to to the symptoms, but it could also extend to Alzheimer's disease. It just It might be kind of a modifying variable where where your vulnerability becomes increased. So in the in the research that we've done, we've actually found that the younger you start to play football has been associated with earlier onset of cognitive, behavior and mood symptoms in individual in deceased football players with diagnosed with CTE. In fact, those who started playing before the age of 12 on average had onset of symptoms 13 years earlier than those who started playing football after the age of 12. So is that the cutoff? Is that a recommendation? You know, don't let your kids play before 12 or is it a moving target? Almost all of our studies have focused on the age of 12. And the reason being is that before the age of 12 is a time of really peak neurodevelopment. So peak brain development where the brain is really rapidly growing and might be most vulnerable to injury. So we focused on age 12. Is it the magic number? If you start playing at 13, is it going to make a difference or 11? We don't think that, um, but it's a number that we focused on. And we found some pretty powerful findings across several of our studies. Just out of curiosity, the helmet, have you looked into the redesign of the helmet? I know there's there are several different new helmets that are coming out. Are they going to potentially impact this or is it a non-issue? Helmets do a great job of preventing skull fractures. A concussion or even a subconcussion occurs when there's an impact or a force applied to the head and it causes the brain uh, to move around within the skull and kind of rotate and bounce around. So it's unclear how a helmet can actually prevent the brain from, from stopping to move within, within the skull. It can definitely prevent you from getting a skull fracture, but we're not sure and, and hopefully the technology will exist and will develop to, to do so, but it's unclear how it can actually prevent a concussion or subconcussive trauma. So can you talk about the, um, the scope of your study? How many, how many people, former football players um, or current football players you worked with and what was the willingness of people who've devoted their lives to football to work with you on this issue? Sure. So I described two studies to you, both of those looking at age of, of expo- first exposure, youth football. Um, but we have a lot of other larger ongoing studies. So at the CTE Center, we have the VABU CLF Brain Bank. Uh, that's directed by Dr. Ann McKee. Uh, and that brain bank includes individuals who donated their brains um, either before before they pass or after they or after they pass by family members to better understand chronic traumatic encephalopathy. So everyone who donates their brain has a history of repeated head trauma that can be from football, other contact sports, military service, domestic violence, and so on. So in that brain bank, there's over 600 cases, and we've reported in the literature on um, you know in 2017 uh, there was a JAMA paper that showed. Uh, identified CTE in 177 out of 202 former football players. Um, so that's a large, very large study uh, looking at the neuropathology of CTE. We also have studies looking at living subjects, and these are mostly uh, former football players. These are being led by Dr. Robert Stern. There is one study that's now concluded. It was funded by the NIH. Called, it's known as the DETECT study, and that looked at about 100 former National Football League players and, uh, and about 30 controls. 
Uh, there's an ongoing study right now, also funded by the National Institutes of Health. Um, it's a seven-year multi-site study, and that's looking at um, over 100 former NFL players. It's also looking at college football players and controls. So we're looking at it both in life and also after death. And we have quite a bit of people who are participating. And to get at your second question, the willingness is actually very high. A lot of these people who are participating in research, they are individuals who are eager to participate, to learn, and to understand what are the long-term consequences of playing football. Some of them are concerned on their own. And because no treatments or you can't diagnose this disease during life, this is one of the only ways that they can get involved and potentially try to get some answers. And we talked a little bit about, you know, coming up against the culture. You're also coming up against a huge industry that's worth billions of dollars. And do you feel that pressure in terms of uh, continuing your research? Uh, I don't think so. Um, I think there's certainly, you know, the industry and financial side of things in our research, but I think our research is really focused on the science and uh, really figuring out what are the risks, what are the long-term consequences of playing contact sports. We work through you know peer review and and rigorous scientific process to to conduct our studies. Um, so in that sense, you know I don't think we feel any pressure. Our, our primary pressure is addressing this public health issue. Uh, so from that standpoint, we we want to be able to figure out this disease. We want to be able to diagnose it during life and and eventually get to treatment and prevention. So. If one of my young children wanted to play football or another contact sport, and I asked your opinion, what would you say to me and other parents who are in a similar position to myself? So we do get that question a lot, uh, particularly about youth sports. And from my perspective, I would not allow my child to play football. Um, I think it's hard to modify that game, uh, especially at a young age. But that said, we are very aware of the benefits. We're first like to educate. We want to make you aware and make everyone aware of the risks or the potential risks and what it could potentially be associated with. And so I think I think it's it's important to know those risks. And then as a parent, you make an informed decision. I think all parents try to do what's best for their children. So then I think they have to ask themselves, I think we have to ask ourselves, does it make sense to bring your kid to play football where they're repeatedly hitting their head over and over again? Um, does that intuitive, intuitively make sense? And I think those are the questions we have to ask. And I think conducting more research will help raise awareness to that. If you remember the history of, of um, prevention of, of smoking, first people were made aware of the risks and the potential consequences. And then it began to be legislated in terms of high taxation and restrictions. So, Juxtaposing that to football, what do you see looking into the crystal ball about the landscape of football changing over the next, let's say, 10 years? So I'm going to get to the, your question, but one point I do want to make, though, is that you know we're talking about the CTE, we're talking about its association with contact sports. Not everyone who plays contact sports or exposed to repeated head trauma goes on to develop problems. There's plenty of people, millions of people who are very successful and are doing just fine. And it's, what we're doing now, too, is to look at the risk factors uh, that interact with this head trauma to, to get you to the point of, of CTE. But kind of bringing it back a little bit to your, to your question, I think you're right. I think at some point, there's going to need to be a legislative effort um, in terms of should there be no tackle football as a youth? I, I'm doubtful that will happen without legislation, and I'm not sure 
because one of the reasons being is that there's been studies that show just socioeconomic status. So that will influence whether or not flag football can be an alternative method. Um, Some people might not have access to such programs. And to really get change broadly across the board, I think you're right in that it might have to go through legislation. Um, I think you're going to see a lot more changes. You've seen a lot of changes already to the game of football, uh, but I think there's going to be more changes to make it safer, hopefully. So I think with more research, there's going to be more awareness and there's going to be more changes to the game, potentially some of those changes through legislation. Is there anything that we haven't covered that you really want the public to understand about this issue that's really maybe not well understood? So I think the most important piece of information that we're always trying to advocate and that's not always clear is that we don't think that CTE is a consequence of a single or even multiple concussions or traumatic brain injuries. We really think it's related to years and years of exposure to this repeated head trauma, the type of head trauma where you can have hundreds of thousands of hits per season every year for 20 years or more. Um, and I th- and I think that's really important because I think there's concerns that if I have a concussion, oh, I hit my head today or I, or I had a concussion yesterday, and then am I going to get CT? And we don't think that's the case. And we want to uh, make sure people are aware of that. And and the other thing too is that just because you play contact sports or just because you play football um, doesn't mean you're going to get CTE. We think that this is a disease that might start with some exposure to these repeated hits to the head and then interact with a bunch of different other risk factors, genetics, lifestyle, um, all a host of different risk factors that interact to lead to this disease. So it's just not one pathway or one thing. Well, I want to thank you, Dr. Alaska, for joining me today. This was a fascinating discussion. I think it's uh, food for thought for millions of people across America and in other parts of the world. And we look forward to following your research. Thank you for having me. All Inclusive is a production of the Ruderman Family Foundation. Our key mission is the full inclusion of people with disabilities in all aspects of society. You can find All Inclusive on Apple Podcast, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. To view the show notes, transcripts, or to learn more, go to rudermanfoundation.org slash all-inclusive. Have an idea for a podcast? Be sure to tweet at Jay Ruderman.